Church, open your Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Matthew this morning, the Gospel of Matthew, and I am starting a brand new sermon series that I have titled, God and Money. Some of you are grabbing your purses and your wallets right now. You're saying, Pastor, do not go from preaching to meddling. We do not need that. It has been a decade since I preached an entire sermon series on money. Now, again, if you've been here for very long, you know that I have actually preached sermons here and there that have dealt with money. But as far as having a prolonged period of time, in this case, it's going to be three weeks that we talk about this topic, it's been a long time since I really had a dedicated time to that. And so you're asking me, well, Pastor, uh, why are we doing this? Why are we uh, preaching about money or why are we talking about money? This is a unique time. Uh, It's not a time in which there is a capital campaign going on. We're not trying to build anything. Uh, We're not trying to ask you for any special money for a special project of any kind. And so again, why are we talking about money? We're talking about money because Jesus talked about money. Did you know that Jesus talks about money more than he does heaven and hell combined? That's a lot. Jesus talks more about money than he does faith and hope combined. That's a surprise to me. It's like, wow, Jesus, you're really putting a priority upon money. Jesus has 40 parables that he preaches that are recorded in the scriptures. Guess how many of them deal with money? 11 of the 40. That's between 25 and 30% of the time Jesus is talking about this topic. And so it has to be an important topic to us because, well, (laughs) talking about money is not just the issue. It's really having a right priority or a right uh, place in our own lives for money that is important to our Savior. I want to give you something I ran across a couple of months ago, and I just saved it for today because I knew it would uh, match for today. And it's a study that the Wall Street Journal puts out uh, periodically. They've done this same study and asked the same questions over a prolonged period of time. Maybe some of you saw the results of this article, but I have the first pieces of it here. It's the percentage of Americans who say these are very important, all right? The first one is patriotism, and I want you to see what has happened with the idea of patriotism in our country since 1998 to 2023. It was way up there around between 70, around 70%. It's plummeted to about 30% with a drop of more than 30% importance of Americans that say patriotism is very important. The second topic, religion. Around 1998, 60% of Americans would have said religion of any kind is very important. Plummeted today to about 36, 37%. Again, a marked decline. Next slide. We have another one, which is community involvement. And this is interesting because it was climbing between 1998 and right before the pandemic. And now look at what has happened with Americans' notion that community involvement is very important. It's at like an all-time low. And Americans are saying, you know, why should I be involved in helping anybody else? Why should I be involved in a community that is very low? So I've shown you all these things that are tailing off. But there's one 
issue that Americans say is more important than ever, very important. You're going to guess where this is going because it's the next slide, and it is money. Americans are saying money is very important like never before, a growth of between 20, now up to about 40%, double increase, or an increase of double between 1998 and 2023. I bring that to you because that's the environment that we're in. It's the environment that we're in in America. It's what the environment that we're swimming in all of the time. And of course, this is an important topic to not just our country, but to our Lord. And so today, we're gonna talk about God and money. We're gonna do that for the next three weeks. And I've got some simple goals that I want to have happen for you during the course of this sermon series. Here are the three goals that I have for us. Uh, First goal, remind ourselves of the basic biblical principles related to money. If we can get through three weeks and we come away from three weeks and we say, that's right, I'm reminded this is the way that the Bible talks about money. This is the way God talks about money. And I want to adopt more of that in my life. We will have won. Number two, help everyone have a financial discussion with a spouse or a significant friend. There's value in being able to talk out loud with your spouse or with a friend about what you're feeling related to money and what your, some of your plan is around your money. So I want you to have a discussion during the course of this three weeks. And then number three, help everyone take one step forward in their financial future. So make one decision related to your financial future. You're doing something proactive as a result of our time. This is not the last time you'll see this. I'm going to remind us of this as weeks come forward. But those are my goals from you. I hope those are valuable to you. I hope they're broad enough and specific enough that we can all accomplish those. And I want you to notice a couple of things about the goals. Uh, Number one is, I didn't say, I hope you give more to the church. Some of you may make that decision and you need to, and that's okay. I didn't say anything here about maybe uh, spending or saving. Some of you need to make some decisions about that. You need to sharpen the pencil in that way, but I didn't say anything about that. I didn't say anything here about debt. Some of you need to talk about that, but that's not one of my goals for you. My goal is that you will approach whatever you need in order to be able to take your next step forward with God related to your money. I want us to think rightly about what God has given to us. All right, there's one word I want to bring into our vocabulary today. Chances are good that you've heard this word before, but I want to use it because really this word has an arc through all of the scriptures. It's a word that's kind of underlying much of money talk in the Bible, and that word is stewardship. And I have a basic definition of stewardship today. Here it is on the screen, managing somebody else's stuff. When you are a steward you are managing somebody else's stuff. And that's what we want to talk about. And there's the idea in the scriptures that God has given us all something to manage for him. Let me give you a little insight into a practical avenue of stewardship that Denise and I experienced early on in our married lives. We were uh, married, and we were missionaries at the time, and we were poor as church mice. I'm telling you, we didn't have a couple nickels to scrub together. And we had a family that were prayer partners with us that were going to be away for the summer, and that first summer after we got married, they said, you could live in our house. And we said, fantastic. We are going to be in Sacramento, California. We'll live in your home, and then we're going to move to our assignment, which was in the fall, 
our late summer, and so we had a couple of months to be able to live in these people's home. How gracious for a newlywed couple that they would let us do that. And I remember while we were there, you know, again, we're stewards over this home. So, you know, we're mowing the lawn, we're watering the lawn, we're taking care of some of the beds outside, we're doing some basic repair that was needed around the house. And we will never forget, this couple had a very interesting vocation. They shopped around the world and were importers of items that they brought back into the United States, predominantly from Christian artisans around the world, and they resold those items in the States. So it was items like jewelry and purses and knickknacks and artifacts from different parts of the world, uh, wood carvings and that kind of thing. And they stored many of those in their garage. And so we would go out and look in the garage and there's all those things that are there. And we're like, wow, that's kind of cool. They really have a ministry that's kind of around the world as they're bringing in these items. Well, Denise and I, again, I mentioned to you, we didn't have a lot of money, and Denise had some things that was from her home especially that she had moved out of, and now we were married, and so we said, you know what, let's make a little bit of money, and so let's go ahead and have a garage sale, or a driveway sale in this case, and so we got the things that we had, it wasn't much, but there it was, and we put those things out there on the sidewalk, and it was a hot summer day, and we started the garage sale. There were people that came and bought some things here and there, but we noticed that there were some cars that drove by and they really gave it like a close look. And Denise and I thought, well, you know, no big deal. Those are looky-loos. They're trying to decide if there's anything in the driveway they want to buy. But little did we know, some of the people that drove by were neighbors. And the neighbors had a very significant concern. We got a phone call from the owners of the house and they said, some neighbors mentioned that you are having a garage sale. We said, well, yeah, yeah, we are. And they said, our neighbors are concerned that you are selling some of the items out of our garage. And we're like, ah, no, we're not doing that. We promise. The neighbors who didn't know us, obviously, and maybe had never really been communicated from the owners that we were staying in the home were considered, were, were, were believing that we were somehow very poor stewards of that house right there, maybe even thieves. And so again, they had a concern for their, uh, their neighbors that they knew and were wondering if we were doing something shady. I bring that to your attention because we never were under the delusion that that was our house. That house was loaned to us. It was given to us. We were, grac- we were grateful that it had been uh, loaned to us again for a few months, an important part of our lives. And of course, there was that big misunderstanding over the garage sale. If we could take that one back, we would and have got it, done it somewhere else. But nevertheless, we made it through that. And it is an example, again, of stewardship in our lives. Let's turn our attention to the scriptures. This is one of those parables that Jesus talks about stewardship. And it is in Matthew 25, and I'm going to be picking up in verse 14. This is the way that Jesus teaches it. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He had received the five. Ta- he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So he also who had two talents made two more talents. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. 
Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who also had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. "'Reaping where you did not sow "'and gathering where you scattered no seed. "'So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. "'Here you have what is yours. "'But his master answered him, "'You wicked and slothful servant. "'You knew that I reap where I had not sown "'and gather where I had scattered no seed. "'Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, "'and at my coming I should have received "'what was mine with interest.' So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, yet even what he has will be taken away and cast that worthless servant into outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Woe, Jesus! This is a significant one for you. And we are going to dive into that together. Let me just tell you as we start off into this story that this is a common story or excuse me, a common situation that would have been in the ancient world. So here's the idea. A wealthy landowner is going away to another land and he entrusts servants with his money, with his property, with what he has. And he says... I want you to manage this on my behalf. That would have been very common and the audience would have immediately clicked into that and understood it. He expects to come back and have them give a return on what he has entrusted to them. And there should be no doubt that the servants never had the idea it was their own. It was always that of the master. They were the possessors for a time, but the owner was clearly the master who had gone, gone away. Likewise, we remember that everything that's been given to us is entrusted to us from God. Unless you have any uh, doubts about that, Psalm 24 verse 1 says it very clearly. Here it is, I have it for you. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And so God is saying, I'm ultimately the one who has possession of the world. I own all of that and I'm loaning that to you for a period of time. He has the rights, I have the responsibility. He's the one who lends, I'm the one who borrows. He's the master, I'm the manager. And so using this story, I want to help us learn some principles about how to be wise stewards. Wise stewards over what God has entrusted to us. I have four principles today I want you to get. Here's principle number one. We've all been given what we can handle. 
Verse 13, or excuse me, 15 says it this way. He says that he goes to the servants and he gives each one according to his ability. So the responsibility that's been given to you is according to what God says is your ability. And some of us, again, are very bothered that everybody didn't get the same amount. Jesus is very clear. They didn't get the same amount. And it was given to them by the master according to what he thought each one of them could handle. And you know, when you think about that, that makes a lot of sense because we practice that in our own lives. If you have an eight-year-old, do you give your eight-year-old a piggy bank or control over your 401k? Which is more practical? The answer is pretty obvious. We give people what they can handle at that time in their lives, at that stage in their lives, with those abilities in their lives, and we hope that they grow from that and be able to handle more. And so we're all given what God says we can handle right now. We need to pause right here and make sure that we understand what is a talent, because it says here that each one was entrusted with talents, five, two, and one. So what is a talent? Well, in our nomenclature today, in our vocabulary today, a talent is something that somebody's given which is a special ability or some, some special uh, facility that they have, maybe uh, cognitively or even physically. And so again, if you have a skill, it's something that you possess, that you exercise. Now again, you might say that Pastor Brian has a, a, a talent with the tambourine, and you'd be right. I mean, that, 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 that would be right, right? It's a skill, it's an ability, it's a talent. That's not the way it's being used here in the scriptures. It's not being used as some special ability. A talent is a weight of measure. And a talent is like saying it's a whole lot, like maybe a brick of gold. So it's a weight of measure, and if it was weighed out in gold or silver, it's a whole lot. Now, commentators differ a little bit on exactly how much it is, but most of them are in the range that one talent is 20 years' wages for the common worker. 20 years wages. So think about this with me. If you come and you're the master and you give a servant a hundred, excuse me, five talents, you're giving them a hundred years wages. I mean, that is a lot of coin and that is a lot of responsibility. Even for the guy that got one talent, it's still 20 years of wages and it's a staggering amount of money for that time, and obviously a, a staggering amount of money for any of our times, if you, somebody came to you and said, I'm gonna give you 100 years wages and I want you to manage it, that is no small task. Now, here's what, what else I want you to see. That it is uh, clear that the characters in the passage are focused upon money, and that's what this whole story is going around, but there's application that surely extends well beyond money because it's going to extend into all of the things that God has given us to manage in our lives. It's gonna come into, again, our physical and mental abilities, our time, our families, our cash, our possessions, our retirement, our hopes, our dreams, all of the things that God has loaned to you that make you you is what we're really talking about here. And so God has the view of, again, giving you what is right for you. And, you know, many of you are saying, well, you know, why is it that I'm a, why couldn't I be a five-talent guy? I'm a one-talent guy, but I sure would like to be a five-talent guy. And it comes down to this. God has given you what he believes you can handle. 
And our job is to wisely use what he has given to us. And again, for a a, a perspective here, all of them were given a whole lot. And you know what? Really, you have been given a whole lot. Maybe not as much as somebody else, but what God has given you is not insignificant. And he's given it to you for you to manage on his behalf. And it's what he believes you can handle. All right. Here's what else I want you to hear. Number two uh, principle. I want you to look at verse 16. And it says about the five talent guy, he went at once and put it to work. No hesitation. Principle number two is you got to put it to work. You've got to exercise what is given to you. And that means oftentimes placing it at risk. The first two people, the five-talent guy, this two-talent guy, they went and put it to work immediately. They did things with it. They bought things. They managed people. They bought and sold grains and properties and equipment and services. And they were expecting that they were going to give a, a return from that, that they were going to be giving back to the master. And they were not afraid to put it at risk. The third guy, which was the one-talent guy, did something completely different. He put it into the ground. And, you know, so he dug a hole in the ground and literally buried it there. And it would be the equivalent of what we say is one of our terms, we put it under the mattress. So we take the money and we put it under the mattress because we're afraid to exercise it in any other way. And this guy had very little really to do. All he had to do was remember where he buried it under the tree so he could go back for it. That was about the extent of the level of management that he had. Very little effort was expended by him. Jesus says that God has given us money and talents that we are to put to use. We are not to bury. And so he says, you know, don't wait. Go exercise it immediately. Don't wait another year. Don't wait another month. Don't wait another decade. Put to work what it is God has given to you. And I fear today that we, some of us are, are, are standing on that and we're not exercising it as God has called us to. And in fact, maybe we're not even burying it in the ground. Maybe we are actually spending it somehow on ourselves. This is something that Wesley Wilmer says in the book, God and Our Stuff, or God and Your Stuff. Never have so many Christians believe that our monies and possessions are ours to do with as we please. Never before in history has more Americans subscribed to that idea. It's basically mine. I will do whatever I want with it, whatever pleases me. And that's maybe one of the very first shifts in perspective that we have to have today is, no, 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 no. This is not yours. It is on loan to you. How would it change our lives if we believe that? And we believe that No, this is not me to just go do whatever I want. This is God's possessions, God's money, and somehow I'm entrusted with it. Let me give you an example here of uh, what you might do if you had somebody managing uh, maybe your portfolio, and you go to see uh, Pete, who is your money manager, and you decide, you know, I have really heard from Pete recently. I want to make sure and find out how my, uh, my investments are doing. So you go to his office, And you walk into Pete's office and you immediately see pizza boxes everywhere, kind of hanging around. And you notice that he's got a stack of papers over here that looks like haven't been filed in a while. And Pete's over there in the corner. And as he looks up to you, he drops his Xbox controller. Hi, Pete. How are you doing today? And Pete goes, oh, yeah, just getting done with my break here. 
And he goes, what can I do for you? And he offers you a cold cup of coffee and you say, no, no thanks. I said, Pete, I just came in to check today of how my investments are doing. And Pete says, well, I think I got that here somewhere. And he pulls out some papers and he hands them to you and you notice they're two months old. And you also notice that as you scroll down your investments, you've lost 50% with Pete under management. And the blood begins to go up to your face, your jaw clenches. What are you going to do next? No, not punch Pete. That's not what you're going to do next. But what you're going to do is you're going to fire Pete. And you're going to tell Pete, you cannot manage my assets anymore because Pete is obviously not taking care of those. He's not doing what he should be doing with them. And here's what I want you to hear. It's principle number three. What they did with it revealed their view of the master. And what you do with your resources reveals your ultimate view of God. What did the first two guys do? The five talent guy and the two talent guy. They went out, invested, and gave a return to the master and noticed that the master came back and he was stoked for them. In fact, he says to them this, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful of few things. I will put you in charge of many more things. Enter into the joy of your master. And again, that is just joy that's just pouring out of the master towards those two servants. Notice also that they are very excited to meet the master and they are saying, behold, behold what I have for you. Behold, I have gone out, I've invested, and I want to return this to you. You gave me five, I've given you not just the original five, but five more. And they're almost like children that are saying, Dad, look at me. Dad, look what's happened. And they're so excited to see Dad come home because they want to report on what they've done. And I wonder if that's what's at the core and at at the root of your giving. I wonder if that's the kind of excitement that you have. You're like, man, I'm writing that check to Compassion International with that child that I have around the world, and that just feels good to do it. And I'm so excited that I have that opportunity with God. Maybe some of you are helping persecuted Christians around the world, and you're like, man, do I feel for what it must be like to have lost your livelihood or to lost a family member or lost a home because you just followed Jesus And man, I don't know what that feels like, but I want those people to be cared for and helped. And that's just a joy on the inside of you as as you give that money. That is something, again, that God wants at the very foundation of our management of his assets is joy that we are doing this on his behalf. And I want you to notice the first two servants, something happens because God says to them or the master says to them, "Uh, you've done such a good job, I'm actually going to give you even more. And what is, uh, Jesus says in another passage in the Bible, Luke chapter 16, I think it's very instrumental. Here's what Luke 16 says. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with, here it is, true riches? And so Jesus is saying something very important here. He's saying money is like training wheels. Money is like the lowest form of riches in the kingdom of God. And when you learn from the training wheels how to handle some wealth, God says, now I want to entrust you with what's really important. And so we're all learning something in this game of life right now about managing wealth and managing the things that matter the most to God. And he's saying, if you can learn how to be faithful with money, 
then God's gonna come along and and trust you with things that are even more important. I believe some of those are in this life, but I believe that some of those are even in the next life, and God has got this training program, and he's using money, he's using wealth in order to prepare us for the things that are most important. And so that is so exciting to say, wow, God, you're doing something in the midst of all this as I'm learning to to manage the things that you've given to me for your glory, and you're doing something on the inside of my life. Let's compare that to the third guy. The third guy has a very different view of God. (laughs) He's got a wrong view of God, and he he says, you know, I knew you were a hard guy. I knew you, you know, you were reaping where you never sowed. You were, you, you know, you never scattered seed there, but you wanted a harvest of it, and so you're just this hard guy, and you know, I I, I just give you back your money. Here it is. I didn't want to lose it because I was fearful of you. And, and he has no real view of who the master really is. He's got a wrong view of who the master is. And he doesn't really know the master. He's only ultimately dedicated to his own self-interest. That's really what is bubbling up from the passage is that he's only interested in his own self-interest. And so here's the point. He doesn't really know the master at all. Well, the story ends, and this is principle number four, in a very uncomfortable way. And the fourth principle is that use it or lose it. Sorry, but if you squander what God gives you, then it gets taken away from you and given to somebody else. Notice what happened to the one talent guy. God came back, he mismanaged it completely, and God said, I'm taking the one talent you have and I'm giving it to this guy who has 10 talents. And you're like, man, the 10 talent guy already has plenty. What are you doing here? And God's like, no, no, no. The master says, this guy has proven that he can manage stuff on my behalf. I'm giving him more of it and I'm gonna take it away from the guy who mismanagement. And God rewards and gives more responsibility to individuals who manage well. What's worse is that the guy that has the talent taken away from him, the guy who's the mismanager, he's actually even thrown out of the master's presence. In fact, the language that Jesus uses there is language of hell. He says, throw that guy into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And every time Jesus uses that metaphor, he is using a metaphor related to hell. It's outside of the presence of God. Let me pause here for a moment. I am not saying... And the scriptures are not teaching that ultimately, again, what you do with your money is a gauge of whether you get heaven or hell. That's not what's being taught here. What's being taught here, again, and we know that, by the way, faith is the way, belief in Jesus is the way that we are inheriting eternal life with him and the forgiveness of our sins. But what this man is revealing, the man that's number three, the one talent guy, he's revealing that he really never knew the master. His actions are revealing, I never really knew who the master was. And what is happening to him is a result of him not having the right view of God. His pocketbook is just revealing that. And so again, if you look at your pocketbook and there's no times in which your pocketbook is opening, there's there's nothing that can persuade you. There's no money that you want to give to a missionary. There's no money that you want to give in the earthquake to Turkey. There's no money that you want to give at church or somewhere else. If that's happening in your life, there's nothing that's flowing out. It's telling you something about you. And it's telling you something about your view of God. 
And your view of God has to be corrected before anything else because everything else is window dressing from that. You have this view of God and your money, your pocketbook is revealing what it says to you about money. Let's look at the differences between the two servants and the one servant who took the nosedive. The first two servants were determined to make a profit. The third was determined not to take a loss. The first two were willing to work hard and take risks. The third took no risks. The first received the gift. The third refused the gift. The first two viewed money as an opportunity. The third guy saw it as a problem. The first allowed the master's gift to change their lives. The third refused the gift to touch his life at all. The first two invested, the other one wasted. The first two saw a blessing, the third guy saw a burden. The first two knew the master, the third guy refused the master. Stewardship is managing somebody else's stuff. And God has given all of us something to manage on his behalf. Is that your attitude? I want to end today with a story from the author and uh, award-winning author, uh, Philip Yancey. Philip Yancey talks about an interview that he had with Dr. Paul Brand. And here's what Phil Yancey says. I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the word fat, but I have a good idea. In America, fat is nearly always a dirty word. We spend billions of dollars on pills and diet books and exercise, exercise machines to help us lose excess fat. I heard recently a good word about fat. In fact, the only good word I've ever heard in years from Dr. Paul Brand. Fat is absolutely gorgeous, says Brand, a medical doctor who has worked among lepers in India. When I perform surgery, I marvel at the shimmering layers of lush fat that spread apart as I open up a body. Those cells insulate against cold, provide protection for the valuable organs underneath, and give a healthy, firm appearance to the whole body. Yancey says, I never thought of fat quite like that before. Brand continues on, but those are just the side benefits. The real value of fat is as a storehouse. Look in, at those fat cells as the treasures of the human body. When I run or work or expend energy, fat cells make that possible. They act as banker cells. It's absolutely beautiful to observe the cooperation among all the cells of the body. Dr. Brand applies this analogy of fat to the body of Christ. Each individual Christian in a relatively wealthy country like America is called to be a fat cell. America has a treasure of wealth and spiritual resources, and the challenge to all of us as Christians is to wisely use those resources for the rest of the body. This is what Yancey says. Ever since talking to Dr. Brand, I've taken a whimsical pleasure each month in thinking of myself as a fat cell on the day I write out those checks to Christian organizations. It's helped me in my attitude. No longer do I concentrate on how I might have used that money. Rather, I'm contemplating my privilege to funnel those resources back into Christ's body and help accomplish his work all around the world. I wonder if that could be the way that we would adopt our view of money. It's like, I'm a fat cell, and God, how do you want me to use and spread that out for the benefit of your body and for your glory? I think that's a wonderful, wonderful perspective for us to have. Here's my longing for all of us, my longing for you. I want you to be greeted by the master who says, well 
done, good and faithful servant. You have been, you've, you've exercised what I've given you and you've done it well. And so I'm wanting to give you even more true riches of, of value that I want to now entrust to you. And I want you, here's the important words, to enter into my happiness. This is the way that God greets those who have a good view of him and a healthy view of riches. Let's pray. Father, you don't mince words when it comes to possessions. And we're going to find out in even coming weeks that, again, we can't have two masters. (laughs) Boy, money is always calling out to us and wants to say, I want to be your master. And you say, that can't be right. We have to have one master, and it's you. And Lord, we just acknowledge today that you have been way abundant with everybody in this room. Even from the standpoint of us being just born in America, there are certain rights and privileges and wealth that's just entrusted to us, and we want to be wise about that. We want to have the right perspective on that, and we want to be conduits of your goodness to others. Work this into our lives. Let us have a proper view of you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.